I'm Sarah, aka Try Sarah for Kids on the Leaderboard. Hi, I'm Katie, aka Katie Calavacino on the Leaderboard. We are friends, triathletes, and working moms with six kids ages 12 and under between us. We like to talk. We like to listen and tell great stories. And we love to ride our Peloton. Together, we bring you the Empower Hour podcast with Katie and Sarah, and we plan to share what's going on in our world, answer important training and racing questions, and bring on inspirational, intriguing, and insightful guests, all with the mission to motivate you to move. While our focus will be mostly on power zone training on the Peloton, we will also address issues that affect a broad spectrum of healthy living. Things like squeezing everything in when you've got small kids at home to returning to fitness after pregnancy or injury and so much more. So join us each week as we catch up, discuss our mutual love of training and all things Peloton and tap into the minds of experts and fascinating guests while bringing you the advice and inspiration you need. week we focus on the not so fun part of being an athlete and that is injuries. Sarah and I have both had our share of injuries so in our power up segment we share our experiences and lessons learned. And then in our powerhouse segment we bring on Dr. Michael K. Ryan, an orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist who also fills the role of a doctor who gets and can connect with runners and triathletes. All right. Hi, Katie. What's going hey, on? Hey, Sarah. Um, not too much. How was your 4th of July? looks like you guys, you know, I'll saw your pictures on Facebook. Your kids are cute, like matching red, white, and blue. And yeah, yeah, we got it all out. But we went to, um, we had a really fun weekend, actually. We went to Lake Barcroft, which I mentioned last week. We were um, my sister-in-law's birthday. So we celebrated on Saturday after the swim meet. Um, and it was a great day to be outside. It was really just lovely weather and the kids had so much fun with their cousins. And then we stopped by a fireworks stand on the way home. And I just kind of put the word out to my neighbors that we were getting fireworks because the Montgomery County fireworks here were canceled. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so last night, like my girls went out and they were like, mommy, there's a lot of people outside. <laughs> And so one of our neighbors was having a party and then another neighbors told like 10 people. So we had like a really big group and Mark was the one who was like putting on the fireworks show. So I'm like, oh, no pressure. That's but, cool. uh, yeah. So he, it was nothing that was too crazy. Cause like there were little kids and Maeve was still awake and she was not a fan of the really loud ones. Like another neighbor had some really kind of loud, like big time fireworks. So he set a few of those off, but they weren't really kid friendly. So, um, we had a police officer drive by, but you know, did, we weren't doing anything illegal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, someone must've, maybe they were just patrolling the neighborhood, but it was fun. And we were at the pool all day yesterday. Um, and I was going to tell you, I made my fun and flouncy, the Cody. Oh, I've been drinking those. I've been drinking those all week. Like that's yeah. my, <laughs> my drink now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was, did the XOXO Cody ride last week and he talked about it. And then you found the TikTok too, that he, he put on. Um, so I was enjoying those, um, pretty much all day at the pool yesterday and yeah, so it was fun. What about you guys? Um, yeah, yesterday we, let's see, we, we went to our neighborhood pool cause 
we basically, they allowed 25 people to smaller pool and went with the other four families that we got together then with um, one of them hosted at their house, food and drinks. And then um, we did fireworks in the street. So the kids were super excited. There was like 10 kids, I think. And um, like the one family's moving. Uh, so it was just fun to hang out with them. And I think we're gonna go back to the pool, uh, go to our, our farther away pool today, not our neighborhood pool. Your okay. neighborhood pool, so you can walk to your pool, right? I mean, you can. Yeah, it's really close. That's nice. Okay. We can't do that. Okay. Yeah, that's the nice thing about this neighborhood, and it's the pretty big neighborhood, but the pool is like right in the middle, so it's pretty accessible from wherever you live in the neighborhood. Um, we ended up, you know, typically we do drive because it's we just have so much stuff that we bring. But yeah, the kids can yeah. For swim team, kids can ride back and forth. That's great. So I, you know, we are doing a lot of, it's getting, I feel like part of the reason I'm tired lately is just like the logistics of getting to and from the, I mean, there's been days where we've been there three times, like we've come home, gone and come home and that wouldn't be so bad if we lived close, but it's like a 15 minute drive. So. Yeah, it is. That, that adds up. Don't you yeah. think? Like, yeah, yeah. And then getting the kids in and out of the car and everything. And um, is, I mean, we take turn, you know, we, mm -hmm. he, he takes them to practice in the morning and then I'm in charge of like, getting them to and from if they're going to be there for their sitters or meets or whatever. So we both, you know, pull our share in that. Mm -hmm. And you did the, yesterday you did the two day tour with Stephanie. I did. Yeah, I did. I liked it. You know, I just, I like the tours, you know, kind of without the power zone, it kind of gives you something to, to, to focus on. Um, mm -hmm. And I think Steph and I were talking about doing uh Jess King next Sunday. Okay. All right. Well, I thought about it too, but like lately I've been craving just being outside. Yeah. Like, I just wanted to be outside yesterday because I actually got my cycling stuff on to ride on the Peloton. I got my bike, I got my tri shorts on because I was like, I wanted to maybe jump in with you guys or do a long power zone ride. And then I looked outside, it was 68 degrees out and like no humidity. Yeah. Like, you got to take advantage of that because before yeah. we know it, I was thinking when I was swimming this morning, before we know it, it's going to be like, cold and December mm -hmm. and like, ugh, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The path, uh, since it rains so much, whenever Friday or whenever it rained, the trees, maybe it rained Saturday night. Right. But anyway, it was like the, the path I take, the trees were all like kind of this like dripping water. So it was like air conditioning. I mean, it never felt like that in so long. We on a run where it was just like cool and like nice, not cold, yeah. not hot. Um, and I told Mark, I was like, oh, I'll go for six miles. And then in the end, I, my watch was out of battery. So I didn't have my watch and I had Strava on my phone, but it like reset at some point. So I was like, oh, well, I don't even know how long I ran. But then I went back. I was like, I got, I really want to know how long I ran because yeah, just for just knowing like how I felt versus how far I went. And so we did like, I did Google pedometer and it was like just under 10. So great. yeah, I'm happy about that. No, no soreness, nothing from the race. Like, I don't know. People were asking me when I'm racing again. And I was San Antonio? Said, San Antonio for in December. That's so far away. I so know. you need like another goal. So you're not like just whatever. Yeah. And as far as triathlons go, I was looking maybe at doing something um when we get back from the beach, like late August. Yeah. Um, and September, October, like Waterman's is October, like something like that. Yeah, I could be um, convinced in doing something more local, you know? Yeah, Waterman's is so nice because you can actually go there and back in the day. If you yeah. Can. I've spent the night the couple times I've done it, but 
it's easy. It's easily, you know, it's like an hour and a half from here. That's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd like to, I mean, once we get back in the challenge, like I'm going to probably feel pretty good on the bike. And so, and I'm swimming more. So I feel like I should just do one more, one more triathlon. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of time still left in the season. Yeah. It's just, I don't want to do anything between now and um, August. My sisters are doing the New York city triathlon this next oh, weekend. Okay. Nice. Yeah. That'll be their first race in two years. That'll be um, yeah, fun to see how that goes. Yeah. They have a pro field and, um, they've been training pretty hard and, you know, coming back from being sick and everything. But I usually go because I'd like to be there. And of course, I'd love to go back to New York. But of course, we have too many things going on. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe we could maybe we could bring one of them on or both of them on to talk about it, their post-race. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, I'm interviewing Rebecca for a triathlete. Um, a publicist pitched the story to me. And they were like, this is your sister. And, I, and then it went into like the, the formal pitch. And I was like, yeah, like, it's funny. I've never been pitched my sisters before. Um, but I said that, you know, I, I can write about her because Rebecca was like the first, um, I think she was like, definitely the first New Yorker to win the New York city, uh, triathlon okay. and she won it three years in a row. Uh, and then now it was 10 years ago, the last time she won. Yeah. So it's kind of neat. She's done it since then. And she's podiumed a couple of times, but then she was pregnant, you know, intermittently, so That's where I met one of your sisters. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. Missy and I were there swimming in a pool and I don't remember which one it was, was there and I'd never met them. So uh -huh. they know well, Matthias and you know, yeah, I, I haven't asked them, but I have a feeling if he's in town, Matt Wilpers will probably be there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I was we like, should oh, go. that would have been a cool chance to <laughs> actually meet Matt. <laughs> so maybe we should go. No. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I Strava stalk him. I just have, I think he posted on Instagram that he did a virtual peach tree 10 K. Yeah, I saw that. He's so he's fast. It's like, yeah. Oh, he doesn't run that much, blah, blah, blah. But he ran like low sixes. So yeah, it's like, that's, no, yeah. 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 But I had, I was like, I bet he'll come out and like cheer. Cause they have some team. I'm sure they athletes. have a lot of athletes doing yeah. it. Yeah. So it's like, Oh, that'd been cool to like hang out with Matt there, but it's about possible at all for me to get there on Sunday morning and make yeah, it back. That's not happening for us either. Yeah. yeah. So, um, well, we have a great show coming up. So the first thing that we're going to do kind of, we, our power up is going to kind of preface our powerhouse. So let's introduce our powerhouse first is, um, Dr. Michael Ryan. I'm it's the first, it's the two first names for me. And we've had so many people with two first names. I know, we have. Um, and I'm always like, Ryan, like Ryan, Michael Ryan. So he's an orthopedic surgeon out of Birmingham, Alabama, who's also a triathlete. He used to live in DC. He worked out with like all the DC folks from the original nation's triathlon days. Um, and he sees a lot of athletes and triathletes and endurance athletes. And we talked to him about um, common injuries that he sees with endurance athletes and prevention. Um, so why don't you just tell us, tell everybody what we're going to talk about. Yeah. So first we're, we're going to talk about um, just Sarah and I experiences with injuries that we've had and kind of how we've dealt with them, lessons learned from them, um, advice to people who are going through similar situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately we've had our share of injuries um, and sometimes they just crop up as like mysteries and you don't know how they started, but I feel like in retrospect, I kind of figured out all my injuries by the end of the injury. I was like, okay, this is how this happens. Yeah. And so, I, think, 
you get injured so many times it's like you kind of know how to handle it after a while like I remember the first time I got injured I was like stunned like what am I supposed to do with myself but now I'm like if I get injured I'm like okay first of all let's figure out what this is and how to get it better and how do I how do I change my goals to to revolve around this to not let myself get into like a depression or a slump you know Mm -hmm. yeah and the good thing is that most injuries are surmountable. Like you can get past them and it might take a while, but you'll see like elite athletes down to just regular old age groupers, people get injuries and then you move through them. You get stronger, hopefully as a result. And you know, they, they become distant memories. So exactly. Sometimes it feels like it's the end of the world. Like I've had, and we'll talk about this, but I've had those thoughts. Like I will never run again without pain. It does right? go and that's eventually. that's what comes across everyone's mind the first time mm-hmm. they even something small like oh this is never gonna go away you know um it's tough you could t- to not have that me- that mentality when you get hurt yeah and we should also say i think we said this in the past disclaimer wise like katie and i are not medical professionals speaking from our you know personal experience but if you have any injuries that we describe like you can listen to us for advice but like obviously go to a doctor for for medical care and treatment and all that. Yeah. Okay. So should we move on? Yeah. So yeah, let's, let's go into our power up, um, and chat about what, you know, lessons learned from our injuries. Um, if you want to, so what would you say you're, I know you've struggled with your plantar fasciitis forever. It seems like since I've known you, um, Mm -hmm. do would that, would you say that was, has been your like biggest obstacle? Yeah, especially since having kids. So it's, um, I've discovered that it's a result of probably just like weight gain and maybe uh, pelvic instability. Um, Somebody pointed out to me just recently that I have a diastasis recti, which is basically when your abs separate Mm -hmm. um, your pregnancy. And so Eamon, I was probably like 115 pounds when I got pregnant with Eamon and he was a nine pound baby. So I put on a lot of weight because it was summertime. Um, he was just big from the very beginning. And I think I gained 60 pounds and, um, that caused, I mean, whether the, the weight gain has, has nothing to do with diastasis, but I, my abs just like completely separated. And I remember after having him, I was like, what's going on with my abs? Like, why are my, why is my stomach? Like I can feel one muscle here, one muscle here, like almost to my hips. And then all the skin just folds in and I didn't even know what it was. I think it's pretty common too, right? With pregnancy. Yeah. I mean, mine was pretty severe, but I knew that I was going to have more kids. So I didn't really like, I wanted to get stronger and I wanted to like, you know, get my core back, but I mean, he was like 17 months when I got pregnant again, and then I got pregnant again. So like, it's, it's gotten better for sure, but it's still there. So somebody pointed out to me that the diastasis, because of the instability in your core, that just is like, causes this chain reaction that can go to your, your feet and how your feet, um, the support that your feet have. Right. So, um, I got it after Maeve, I mean, after Nellie, I got it after Maeve. Um, after Maeve was more severe, um, I started running in April after she was born, I had a C-section and it was COVID. So I wasn't really like super motivated, but by April I felt good. 
And I remember like running three or four weeks and I started getting this little bit of a heel pain. So the first lesson that I took away from that, that I did not use my own advice, but as soon as you get that pain, get something, get it checked out, right? Yeah. It's probably not going to go away. And like um, we, we talk about with uh, Dr. Ryan, it's like, when do you push through it? And when do you actually seek out like assistance? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I thought it was um, my shoes. I thought it was the way my heel was coming down the shoes. I thought I needed more support. So I got gel inserts, which like was more cushion, um, which kind of put a bandaid on it, but it just continued to get worse even after I really stopped running too. Um, but I was using the Peloton at that point. So because and that it, can have a, that can really, yes. that doesn't help planter. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it persisted for almost a, a year. Um, I got, I went to the podiatrist that I've seen before, but he's like a sports podiatrist. So I, he knows runners. Um, so again, another tip is that you want to see a doctor who understands runners, something that we talked to Dr. Ryan about as well. Um, so they knew that I was like looking to get back into shape, to get back into racing. Um, a cortisone shot had helped me in the past because it just masks the pain again. It's just like a Band-Aid. It doesn't really do much to help heal the, the planter. Uh, it can reduce inflammation. I got that. And sometimes it just goes the wrong direction. So the first time I got the shot, it helped. The second time it did not help and it caused more pain, um, which ended up, I got, I self-diagnosed that myself that I needed to be in a boot because I was like, I can't put any weight on my foot, whether I'm walking, you know, sit, coming from a sitting to standing position, I just could not put any weight on my foot. Um, so I was in a pretty bad place. I was in a boot. And that's when I thought to myself, like, this is never going to go away. I'm never going to run without pain. Um, but the rest helped. Um, I changed shoes on the Peloton as well. That yeah, was I got like nice. a harder, harder insole. Harder. And so I just went back to my cycling shoes, the Pearl Zumi shoes that I knew that would work that were had, you know, I never had any pain with my shoes. Um, so I would like pedal harder on the, the foot that was fine. You know, I tried to like light pedal. I couldn't stand on the Peloton for weeks. Um, I couldn't really swim because the pools were still closed at the time or they're really hard to get into. So I kind of turned into like <laughs> mush I wasn't doing much of anything like I felt like I couldn't really exert that much energy on the peloton I couldn't run um and then I got inserts for my shoes um I worked with this company Profoot sent me some uh, insert that's made just for like plantar fasciitis support um I probably got a little bit stronger in my core doing more strength work try to focus on that, to like fo- focus on my stability and the pelvic stability and doing a lot of exercises for that. Um, and then the, slowly but surely the pain started going away. The inflammation went down and I was eased back into running like one mile. Yeah. Two miles. Yeah. I was like not doing anything that was beyond uh, what I thought I could handle. And even recently, like I've just started building up, like I, my longer runs were like five miles and then I would do six and then I do seven and I got up to 12. Um, and I still get a little bit of little niggle once in a while, like I'll feel burning or I'll feel like a little sharp pain. And then I realize, okay, like keep your shoes, like hokas on, don't wear flip-flops. Yeah. I mean, 
that causes uh, in non-athletes or and athletes alike, like flip-flop in support of sh- um, unsupportive shoes is a big cause of plantar fasciitis. Walking fashion. a lot, yeah. Yeah. So try to keep my, you know, like if I'm timing at a swim meet, like I'll wear my running shoes. I used to wear flip-flops because feet get wet. I always wear my running shoes if I'm going to be just like walking around. Um, and I also, the other thing that helped a lot was the Theragun. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So just like a massage, just try to break up some of the scar tissue, whatever was there and the inflammation. And that seemed to help. Um, but it's really, oh, the other thing is the Strasburg sock that really helped as oh, well. Oh, like a compression sock kind of, is it like a compression? It's not even compression. It's just pull. So it's like almost like a, a, a brace and you put your foot, your leg in it. And, um, there's a Velcro around your shin area, um, and a long Velcro piece that attaches from your toe area. So your toes, if you, you pull the piece up closer to your shin, so it keeps your foot in a flexed position. So if you imagine your toes are kind of facing like up, like, um, flexed. Okay. It's almost like, like, like uh, tape, like taping almost Mm -hmm. like how it tape you, when you tape yourself, you tape it, like how it'll heal it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's like an old school thing. It's not new. And I didn't believe it. I was like this stupid sock. Like, I don't want to wear this sock. It's, but then I finally, I, you know, you're desperate. You'll try anything. It wasn't comfortable. I would wake up in the middle of the night, like with like just pain because your foot's in this extreme flex position. It's not very comfortable. And like, but it helped. I could tell the difference. Like even after two nights of sleeping with it, when I got, took it off and I put me in that first step in the morning is always really painful with plantar fasciitis. Like I said, oh my gosh, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. So those are all the things I did. Um, I've talked to other people who have gone to even further lengths to rid themselves of plantar fasciitis. Um, but just little teeny, like just explore all, all your options is what I have to say. And And then also, yeah. And one thing too, I mean, like with the, with plantar or any kind of tendonitis, it doesn't, it's like, you, you gotta like be patient and not put a deadline on when you're going to feel better. Like you said, like, it's going to take a while, like of, of trying different things, like all the things you've tried with your shoes you know, and it's not just like what you're going to do with your foot. It might be getting stronger somewhere else, you know, and I think it's just, you have to have patience and next, you know, eventually it'll go away. Yeah, it does. Um, not to say it won't come back. I, I don't anticipate getting pregnant again. I may assume if I did, I would probably get it again. I feels like it's just like this postpartum injury that I get, um, because I have had it three times post kid. Um, but I think it just has to do with like, everything being, like I said, like gaining weight and like it's hip instability, pelvic instability. Like I'm lucky I haven't had any other injuries, but the plantar fasciitis is definitely something I'm like, oh gosh, here we go again. So I hope that I have it kicked every time I do a run at the end, I'm like, okay, it's going to hurt tomorrow. And when it doesn't hurt, I feel like, okay, one step closer to say I'm healed. Um, Another thing I just want to add is that I was feeling pretty good in October. I had a huge setback because I wanted to race and there was one 5k that was, was happening. The Rev3, uh, can't remember what they called it, but it was a 5k. And I would say I was probably like still in a lot of pain, but for some reason that day it didn't hurt. So I went down and I ran and I probably tore it or, you know, it was getting worse. 
and yeah, and then we got right back in the car because it was still pretty height of COVID and you couldn't really linger. So I didn't really stretch or do anything. And it was an hour and a half ride home. When I got out of the car, it felt like, like I just, my foot was broken. You know, I couldn't put any weight on it whatsoever. Oh, yeah. So that was really frustrating because I think I was on the way to heal, but I got impatient and I was like, oh, I want to race. I mean, I was in pain the entire race, um, but I was so excited to race that I kind of like put it out of my mind. And I wanted to like break 22 in the 5k, you know, I killed myself. I got 2202. <laughs> so sad. I didn't even get my goal. And then I had pain for months after. Yeah. It's not Basically, worth it. I just swear one, swear one. So if you're feeling like your injury is getting there, but you're not hundred percent, do not put yourself into a position where right. you, just, you go backwards. Yeah. So I've been running since I was 14 years old and I still need to learn these lessons because you tend to think you can do more and you can be, you know, beat these injuries and outsmart these injuries, but chances are you can't, <laughs> you have to really deal with them. The yeah, right especially way. the older that we get, you know, and mm -hmm. it's one thing interesting that you say that you get it after every pregnancy and, you know, somebody who's only had like me, one or two kids might get the similar injury, but not really put those the two and two together because I haven't had, you know, you know what I mean? You might not put the two together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I didn't even either. Um, I just thought it was like getting back into shape, but, yeah. um, but now then I like, oh, wow. There's like, there's studies that have been done about, I guess the posterior chain and everything, you know, like everything's affected. Um, but a lot of times women have like, uh, stress fractures and like their pelvic area or something like that after pregnancy, I haven't heard much about plantar fasciitis until now. So it makes sense. And, um, I just am happy it's behind me and I feel for anybody who's going through it because it's just like very painful and you can't sit all day. This, this injury is something that you just want to, you can't put any weight on your foot and, but it like really impacts your lifestyle when you have to like hobble around. So. Right. Yeah. That's the hardest part about being injured. I feel like it's not necessarily what you can't do to train. It's more about like, gosh, I can't walk up the stairs anymore. I can't like, you know, help the kids out with whatever. That's super frustrating. Mm -hmm, exactly. So for you, we're going to yeah, talk. So, about I mean, I have a different, like, it's, it's interesting that, you know, sharing these stories, yours is more about like how you like dealt with it, like how you made yourself better. Um, and mine's kind of more about, uh, you know, what, how I refocused my, my, you know, my OCD need to like train, um, so like the first injury I ever had, you know, I swam since I was five and I didn't do any really, uh, weight bearing activities until I got a little past college. I started running and then I started doing triathlon and that was about 2005 and it's, it had a great first season. I remember I got third, in my age group at the Reston try, uh, like 2005. And then I was like gung ho going into the next season, maybe running 10 miles a week, which is nothing. And I got a stress fracture between in my femoral neck. Um, and I remember I, I did the lake, the Jim McDonald lake swim. And I, there's something about when I wear a wetsuit, I like my snap my hip, like with like with my kick. And the next day I went on the treadmill and I was like, oh my God, what is wrong with my hip? And I thought the next day, shake it out. This was my first real injury. Shake it out. It'll be fine. Didn't go away. Um, ended up going to a doctor, an orthopedic, was not a sports doctor. So like you said, you know, find someone who does understand athletes. Um, the guy told me to gain weight. You know, you just need to gain some weight. Um, 
And I was like, okay. So I didn't go, I was like, let it heal. I was on crutches. Uh, and in the, in the, in the intermediate, I, you know, I had all these tries planned and I said, okay, I'm not going to be able to do these. So I started swimming my face off and biking a ton, which biking was new to me. So, and I got so much stronger on the bike. You know, I don't have a bike background. I don't have a run background, but I biked so much. I would sign up for centuries, um, just biking all the time. And I really, really got stronger on the bike. I used to, you know, that first season come out of the water first and then get passed on the bike. Uh, and then, you know, once everything was said and done, I was actually coming off the bike first, you know, and then getting chased down on the run. But anyways, I waited three years, didn't heal and went to a new doctor. So I actually started working with a couple, the Delaney's. I don't know. Do you know them? Mm-mm. No, um, they had a company called Rehab to Racing and they kind of, they were like, they were like my parents away from home. They kind of took me under their wing and said, you need to get, you need to go to a new doctor one. And then you need to get your bone density test. And so I did that, had osteoporosis when I was 28. And from that found out that I had celiac. So what happened was my whole life, I hadn't really been, you know, you're eating foods with gluten and it, you're, you're, it's what it does is it destroys your small intestine. And that's so that you could be chugging gallons of milk and you're still not going to absorb calcium. And so I remember being in the doctor's office and the guy was like, you are celiac. Oh, this makes total sense. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. And they said, um, you know, you got to go gluten-free diet. What is that? Oh, you can't eat wheat, rye, barley, or oats. And I was like, okay, well, I don't even like wheat bread. So that's fine. And I went to the grocery store and I seriously went to the bread. I was like, oh my God, no, all bread is wheat. And I was, this is somebody who's got a diet of, bagel in the morning um or you know cereal in the morning bagel for lunch pasta for dinner um you know i was like i don't even know what to do with all the gluten and plus it was like before gluten-free yeah yeah there was not really i mean the bread was like a freaking rock like (laughs) nothing was good i remember trying to make an angel food cake and it was like a like a solid sponge (laughs) um but yeah so I went on this gluten-free diet and next thing you know like eight months later I was running again um and it was it wasn't like running like six miles it was like yeah I'm gonna walk run for a mile and then you gotta have slow but what I learned through all this is like you gotta just refocus your goals like you just you know I kept having to push triathlons but in the meantime I don't think I would be as strong as I am right now on the bike if I wouldn't have had that I really don't yeah. There's a lot of give and take, right? So like, like you, I was able to like eventually get back onto the Peloton and, and just focus on that. And like my running, I just had to put to the side and same with you. Like you can, if, if there, your injury allows you to do something else, then you can just kind of focus on that. And then like your fitness for whatever you feel like you're missing, it'll come back because yeah. you're still doing that's, something. That's the great um, thing about triathlon is, you know, it's, yeah, if you're just a runner and this happens to you, that sucks. And you got to do this cross training thing. Maybe you're water walking, whatever. But with this, it was like, a, fortunately, I know some people have had this injury and they couldn't bike, but I was able to still bike. Mm-hmm. Um, I might've prolonged it a little bit, but I, you know, I definitely was got so much stronger on the bike. Um, and I swam so much. That was when uh, Julie and I were doing all the, you know, we did the base swim. We did this eight mile swim across Lake Champlain. And it was, you know, we were going crazy with the swimming as well. And so I just kept myself happy with, with doing that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think it's important. It's important to speak to like the emotional aspect too. And yeah. how you can, you know, because the worst thing is being told that you have a serious injury, like a stress fracture. And it's scary because you don't know, like, will this happen again? Will yeah. you know my bones? Why are my bones breaking? You know, like yeah, it was scary. Gotta, yeah, I was. So, they put me on like a like like for osteoporosis. They put me on like this medication, like Actin or Actino, and I would take it once a week. It's for like people who are like in their seventies, mm -hmm. and I would wake up the next day, and it was like I don't know what it did, but I couldn't even move. It was so so sore, like going to your bones, and like oh, it was horrible. I woke up the first time crying. It was calling this Mary who helped me out. So, you know, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I feel so horrible. Um, but I got through it and I feel like it definitely made me stronger. Mm -hmm. Um, how long did you have to be on that medication for? Probably like a year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. I just watching the Olympic trials last week, the track trials and like all these people have these injuries and like, yeah. COVID, they everybody's like, well, thank goodness we had an extra year because I was able to get past this. And a lot of people spoke to like their emotional struggles and injury is like, it's like, it's such a hard thing to go through when you're trying to be the best at your sport and yeah. whether you're like, you know, the, the world's best, or you just want to be the best in your age group. It's just so, and you feel like the rest of the world is just going, you know, running off and you're still stuck in one spot. Yeah. And, it's tough. We've and, all been and, there. and then yeah. another thing is, you know, like when I, when I hurt my hamstring, you know, I had gone to, to worlds that year, 70.3 worlds. Um, actually I went to worlds in September of 2017 and then, you know, just taking some downtime and I was fit. Like that's the fittest I've been. And, you know, next thing, you know, I go for a rollerblade and do the splits and I rip my leg off. You know, it's like, you go from like 10 to zero in a matter mm -hmm. of like 30 minutes. Right. And it's mm -hmm. like, that was it. Like I was like done. I couldn't even, you know, I couldn't even swim. Like I couldn't do anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You had an incision. You couldn't get into the water. Yeah. I mean, I, before I had the surgery, I was, a, I, I swam. I couldn't, I couldn't do flip turns. Like, cause I couldn't, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't like extend my leg like that. Like I couldn't bend, couldn't mm -hmm. bend over. So I couldn't flip. So I was just doing touch and go. Uh, but I was in the pool every day. It was one of the same things. You just got to refocus. And I just, at that point, the refocus was like, I just want to keep in shape in some sort of form, like just to feel good about myself, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that also what's important is that like reaching out to people, like you said, you had kind of like a support network when you were younger, just being just like anything, any emotional struggle, or, you know, talk about it to somebody. Don't yeah. sit there in silence. I mean, I, There's, I've always yeah. feel like I don't want to burden people with the story about my foot, but like fellow runners, triathletes, swimmers, whatever, what have you, they are going to understand it. You yeah. know, they're be the people who empathize the most, like, oh, I've had that before, or my friend has had that. You should talk to him about whatever. So like, you know, I would just suggest like reaching out to anybody you can message boards, Facebook groups, whatever yeah, it is. So that's yeah. yeah. For my hamstring surgery, there was an actual Facebook group of millions of people who had had the same exact surgery done and like, you know, talking about their recoveries and everything. Um, and like, you know, what to do before, what to do after. And that was super helpful. And then I think you reached out one of your friends had the similar thing and they contacted mm -hmm. me. I think it was one of your friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and then recently that just happened too, or some, it happened to someone. I was like, Oh, Katie, you should yeah. talk this person because you're a success story for sure and like how you were able to come back um and 
and be fine like not you know not right away but it, you were pretty quick in terms well, of your I think with surgery and with pregnancy the fitter you are through it and going through it the, the easier it is to get back and that's something to keep in mind too is when you are injured if you just completely stop doing everything it's going to be that much harder to you know to mm -hmm. get back to get back to it yeah so if anybody needs to hear this today if you are in pain if you're suffering with any kind of injury it'll get better you know <laughs> like yeah we've been there like i've said before like i was convinced like my running days are behind me. Like I'm never gonna run again um, because I can't lift my foot. Prior to that, I mean, I got a hamstring injury. I remember thinking I'll never be able to have a knee drive again because my hamstring was so tight and it was so painful. And actually the forced stress I had during pregnancy healed my high hamstring tendinopathy. It went away, hasn't come back, thank goodness. But you know, there's there are definitely moments where like your mind's, your mind's telling you something it's just not true. It's not yeah. true that you're going to run again or swim again or bike again without pain. You just need to figure out the path back towards, um, you know, healing. And there's lots of people. I mean, fortunately, we live in a time where there's like a lot of great doctors, a lot of doctors yeah. who, are, who are raised as athletes and, you know, are now doctors and <laughs> female athletes. Like back in the day, like you didn't have that yeah, many you didn't have the female the, doctors who are athletes or right. female doctors in general. Now you see like, you know, there's, I've worked with a lot of women who like, I just feel like understand like, you know, whether one of my doctors is a professional dancer, but she kind of oh, gets wow. the competitiveness, you know, like right. she's like, oh yeah, you do triathlon, but it's like my dance competitions where, you know, I get so nervous and I want to do my best and, you know, so that's kind of nice. Um, and also Dr. Ryan talks a little bit about like some of the treatments that he's doing, um, like PRP. And he mentioned that something with bone marrow even like, so there's a lot of advances and yeah, there's a lot of options out there. You know, yeah. I've had, I've had prolotherapy. It worked great on my shin. I've had PRP on my planter when I was going through some planter. It did not, I don't think it really worked. And then I had PRP on my elbow tendonitis. Um, I don't think it worked either, but I really think like it's something I, caught that he said and what my uh my doctor said is that it's better to try physical therapy first I think and then if that is still like I could probably do PRP now on my elbow it still hurts a little bit but I've gone through like six weeks of physical therapy um and so it's a little bit better I think it might completely like it's like it, it pushes you over that edge of like finalizing your healing mm -hmm. yeah yeah there's PRP and then yeah, there's a lot of things out there like physical therapy you can't discount that i mean that's really the, the yeah it's really underrated it really yeah. is <laughs> and then people tend to not want to do it no because it's a time consuming you know <laughs> yeah yeah and i actually all the things you mentioned like a lot of these things are out of pocket so even when i had to get an mri and pay for it it's like oh like do i pay for the mri it's 250 dollars. my insurance yeah. doesn't cover it um so you just have to be kind of selective in like what you do and how much you can afford um, so like before you make any big decisions about like, don't run and if you can afford it, great. But like, I know even with my student athletes, like, you know, if I suggest, oh, you might need to get an MRI, their parents are like, what? It's going to be yeah. so expensive, you know? So, yeah. but a lot of times MRIs are really the only way you can get a diagnosis. It's not going to fix you obviously, but it's a diagnosis and then doctors will be able to figure out. Yeah, and you can MRI. waste less time and, and money. Mm -hmm doing all these other things that might not work if you haven't if you don't really know what your diagnosis is yeah exactly the diagnosis is a, 
is what you need first before you can move forward because sometimes injuries are just mysterious and like yeah. you don't know but yeah just so our, our hope for everybody is that you know we can use ourselves as examples as overcoming injuries and getting better you know getting stronger at least emotionally stronger like i'm not i'm less of a basket case now when i get in church yeah and keeping I, your keep your spirits up you know you gotta yeah. have i've always like matt says you gotta have like the, the downs to have the, the highs too mm -hmm. yeah um and then just know that injuries happen so it's not like you did anything terribly wrong or like you know i'm always like gosh i didn't do enough this i didn't do enough that i was probably gonna get injured no matter what just my body you know is eventually right yeah. and um I don't want to ask for injuries, but you can do what you can to prevent them. But sometimes they just happen anyway. And then you just, hopefully it's not like a year long layoff. Um, you know, I've had injuries where I've gotten past much quicker because I do everything by the book and I'm patient. Yeah. The injuries that last longer are the ones that usually are, I'm a little impatient and I do things that are probably a little silly and then I get injured again. So yeah, but now we'll move on to Dr. Ryan and we talk more about injuries. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> All right, so for our powerhouse segment, we have Dr. Michael K. Ryan, orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist at Andrews Sports Medicine and Orthopedic Center in Birmingham, Alabama. So not only does Dr. Ryan treat triathlete patients, he also com has competed in Olympic distance triathlons one full Ironman, two half Ironmans, and seven marathons. So we brought Dr. Ryan on because he fills that elusive role of a doctor who gets and connect, can connect with runners and triathletes and understands that we don't just want to be told to stop running for X amount of weeks to let an injury heal, as I've been told so many times, or worse, that we'll never be able to swim or bike or run again without pain. So Dr. Ryan, welcome to the Empower Hour. We're eager to chat with you about your career as well as get your tips on injury prevention. But let's start with your background as an athlete. What got you into triathlon and endurance sports? Well, first of all, thank you both for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk to uh, some accomplished triathletes. Uh, I, I don't know that I'm much more, more of a triathlete these days. It's kind of you know gone by the wayside a little bit, but um, the experience has been great. But um, thanks again for having me. Um, as far as what got me into triathlons, I was always an athlete growing up. Um, unfortunately, I really wasn't an endurance athlete. I really focused on stuff like ice hockey and football when I was younger. And it was really in college, um, most likely the, uh, really it was mostly the influence of my mom who has run countless marathons. Um, I remember sitting in my dorm one day at age 21 after uh, probably too much uh, fun the night before and watching and tracking my mom during one of her Boston marathon attempts. And I realized sitting there at the, at the time, you know, she's 28 years older and she was just you know, so impressive and so inspirational that, you know, that was kind of the first time that I thought about getting into some sort of endurance sport. And up to that time, I never really run beyond five to eight miles. And then decided uh, that year, it was my junior year in college to sign up for a marathon um, and ran my first one in Chicago. And after that, they kind of became hooked. Um, the idea of pushing through the mental side, the physical side, uh, creating a challenge uh, and always kind of pushing that limit uh, was really uh, somewhat addicting. And from there, it really kind of grew I had some friends who were on a you know club bike team at Notre Dame, so I picked up a bike and really uh, had two of the three. Um, the, the sad part about it was is I am an awful swimmer. Um, I didn't grow up swimming. Uh, I didn't swim in college, and so the first time that I said, "All right, well, I'm gonna if I'm gonna do this, I have to learn how to swim," I got in the pool and probably swam 50 yards and was dead. And so I had a lot to learn from that that aspect. But 
over time, talked with some friends who um, I met up in med school. And that was really the kind of launching point of a lot of the triathlons that I did because I found such a great group, which was really instrumental to developing not only the love, but also the ability to compete in triathlons uh, at, a, at a level that I don't think I would have otherwise been able to. So um, from the time that you first got in the pool to the time that you did a triathlon, like how long of a t- how long had passed? Um, I would probably say I, I got in the pool the first time in the summer leading up to my senior year of college. And I think my first, you know, short distance triathlon sprint was probably in September. So I don't know, eight weeks, maybe. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So uh, probably not, not, not the most thoughtful or, or you know, uh, you know, lacking foresight in that regard, but I, I survived. Uh, I got past by everybody, but I survived. Did you get back, get them back in the bike in the run at least? I did. That was the, <laughs> that was the benefit is that my strong points were really, you know, the two of the three and Fortunately for me, the swim is the shortest part of any race, which is why I think I had any sort of uh, longevity in, in triathlon whatsoever uh, is because of how short the swim was, to be honest. And then when did you do your Ironman and where was it? Yeah, so um, I uh, really started with, uh, which I think is the way, a great way to start is a lot of sprint triathlons. And then I met a really great group of motivated individuals in Washington, D.C. when I was in medical school. Uh, and we really focused on the Olympic distance triathlon at that time, um, partly because one of the one of the guys on our team uh, was involved in running Nations Triathlon at the time. So he was kind of the owner of that. And so because of that, we um, you know did a lot of local triathlons, then ended up traveling. It wasn't until later on, probably my fourth year of medical school, so almost three and a half years after actually focusing and doing some triathlons consistently, that I decided to do something of longer distance. And I planned it so that my training schedule allowed me the majority of my fourth year medical school. Uh, and then I led it up to where I was about six weeks out and I did a half Ironman. Uh, I did that for the first time. And that was in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Um, it was their inaugural and it was fantastic. Um, I learned that I did not wear enough sunscreen. So that was a, that was a bad mistake. But um, it, six weeks later than I did um, Ironman St. George. Um, and you know, after having done it, I probably should have picked an easier one, easier one, but it was really, I only picked it because of the timing because I just graduated medical school. And then about a week later went and did this. And so St. George was amazing, but, um, probably wouldn't do it for my first one. If I had to do it over again. Were you, uh, were you trained? Was it Charles Brodsky and Michelle Harburg? Is that who? Yes. You yeah. I was going to ask the yeah. same question. Yeah. We're, oh friends, gosh, I, yeah. <laughs> we're friends with amazing. them. Yeah. Oh man, they're, they're like the closest people that I and grew up with in, in DC. Adrian Fenty, did you, did you, nope. the mayor? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the story behind that is, is that, um, when I moved to DC, I knew nobody, um, it was brand new and our medical school, uh, Georgetown did a triathlon every year. It was called the iron med and it was a sprint triathlon, even though the name would suggest otherwise. And so I show up one morning, uh, my first year of medical school, I don't know anybody. I'm in the first heat and I sit down in the pool and, uh, Adrian Fenty walks in and he's got a buddy with him and his buddy happened to have curly hair like I do. And I was sitting there and Adrian says, Hey, Willie, it's your brother. And from there we started talking and somehow I ended up winning that triathlon outright. And so afterwards I started talking to him and said, Hey, you know, what, where do you guys train? And from then, you know, from there on Adrian basically says, you're going to come with us. And so that was, that was kind of the start of that. And ever since then, you know, Adrian Fenty, Chuck, Michelle, uh, Willie Walker, uh, uh, Colin, James, I mean, that whole crew of people was just an incre- incredibly impressive group of people. And so, um, you know, that was my four years in, in DC that, that really got me into triathlon. Where were you going to medical school? At Georgetown. Georgetown. Okay. We probably have crossed paths because Katie yeah. and I 
uh, we live outside of DC, both Arlington, uh, Alexandria and Rockville. And, and that's I when I got started, it was like 2000, yeah. well, really into it, 2008, 2009, that group was like really big then. Yeah. Oh, no, no doubt. I'm sure we did. I'm sure we yeah, either it was probably like, did brides and rustling. That's, that's so wild. Yeah, definitely the glory days. I just, um, I write for Triathlete Magazine and I just wrote a column not too long ago about Adrian, um, his involvement, because I do like a kind of retrospective every week. And um, I wrote about that. And so I did some research into like just how involved he was. It was really neat. Like just how, yeah. like you know, he's such a public, yeah, obviously a public figure, but then like was one of the people when he was out there racing and he incorporated yeah. his training into like his day and his, you know, they always knew that he was coming to the meetings with like, you know, goggle marks or just fresh from a run. And like, that yeah. was really neat. And then, yeah. you know, unfortunately the uh, DC triathlon is no longer, but hopefully it's, yeah. It, that was like a big bummer because the last one was canceled and then they, yeah. they never brought oh, it back. Oh, really? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I knew that it had, had ended, but I didn't realize it ended on a cancellation. That's really sad. I think well, yeah. come back one day. the swim cup getting canceled because of the water quality. So yeah. Yeah. The Potomac mm -hmm. was always, always questionable. Even, even when we were racing in 2008, 9, 10. Yeah. <laughs> so um, going back to medical school, at what point did you decide that you were going to go into sports medicine? Um, it was actually long before that. Um, I fortunately knew exactly what I wanted to do when I was very young. Um, I'd always loved science. I'd always loved sports. And I knew that there was going to be a combination of that. And really when I was in probably junior high and high school, I, I started to realize what that combination was. And it really led me to orthopedic surgery. And then as I got through high school, I had some friends undergo some surgeries for ACL tears and, you know, watching sports. I remember watching the national championship. Uh, it was a Miami versus Ohio state. One of the running backs had a you know, very devastating knee injury. And then I saw six months later, he's squatting a ridiculous amount of weight. And so that idea of being able to be involved in this uh, rehabilitation and returning people to function was just so fascinating. And that only grew as I started to learn more about orthopedics. Um, and then sports medicine was just something that I identified with. I identified with the athlete motivation to push the limits. And even when you're injured to continue to you know, try to uh, rehab, recover as quick as you can to get back to the things you like to do and stay active. And so that mentality really resonated with me. Um, and I think I have an appreciation for patients who have that same mentality and not everybody does, uh, and that's fine, but it's, it's one of those things where I think it's a unique uh, ability for me to connect with patients on that level. Um, and from there, it really just kind of grew. And, and I think that um, it's been a you know, pleasure for me to get to actually live out that sort of goal and dream. That's, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's such a great quality for you to have and be in that field and just really be able to, you know, connect with athletes, um, you know, because it's so important to find a physician that really gets like that you want to get back out there that like, you know, I remember I was recovering from a stress fracture and the first orthopedic, you know, doc, sports doctor I went to was like, you just need to, you know, sit around and eat pizza and drink and drink beer. And, you know, I'm like, that's not going to happen. Like I need to get, like, I need to start running again. This is, and so I, I ended up switching doctors yeah. and then the new doctor was, you know, he had the same mentality. So it was just a better fit. So that's just yeah. such, such a great thing to have. Yeah. And it's, um, uh, even throughout my training and even now I've had either experiences directly, or I've had patients come to me and say, you know, my doctor just told me just to stop running. And that's not my philosophy. You know, my philosophy is my job is to whatever it takes to get people back to doing what they want to love. And I think there's this misconception that if you are a long term, long distance runner, or you do triathlons, or there's a lot of pounding on the joints that you're going to destroy your body or develop arthritis. 
I, I think obviously like anything, there's a balance, you know, if you're a professional triathlete, you're going to put miles on, on your body. But I think that in general, if you can approach this in a good, you know, healthy, balanced way, stay active, you know, do as many races throughout the year that you feel comfortable, that you feel your body can and hold up to. And also importantly, really focus on the recovery aspect of that. You know, I think that I, I encourage patients who are of that mindset to, to pursue that. Um, I, I, I really will never tell a patient, Hey, you probably shouldn't do that because, uh, you know, it's going to risk something unless it truly does. And those cases are so rare, um, uh, that I, I don't find that to be an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like Katie said, like we've been to doctors before, even recently, you know, as, a, as I grew up running and when I was younger, I would just say, Oh, well, the doctor says I should do this. And now, you know, as an adult, I'm like, no, that's not right. It's just more experience you get. You hear from other people with similar injuries. But like last, I had like high hamstring tendinopathy, as I say it. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, the doctor was just like, sorry, this is chronic. I don't, you know, like you're just going to be in pain forever. Um, yeah. So it's nice. And he just was, you know, used to, I think he was probably used to seeing older people and maybe he lumped me into that category. But I was like, no, I need to like, I want to get back out. I have a lot more racing ahead of me. So like Katie said, I had to find another doctor too. So you do yeah. have that we said at the top, like very rare quality of being an athlete, being an endurance athlete, especially. Um, so we want to know, like, what are the most common injuries that you've come across in like triathletes and endurance athletes um, in particular? Yeah. In, endurance athletes is really the name of the game is just kind of overuse injuries as, as one would expect. And so, um, you know, if you're talking really, you know, focusing on mostly running, you know, a lot of this is going to be obviously lower extremity injuries. Um, you, you know, main culprits are either, you know, strains. Um, we see a lot of IT band syndrome, whether that's, um, you know, at the knee or at the hip. And that's essentially, you know, over, overuse injury where you tr- try to increase mileage too much or your training load, you know, increases too much without proper sort of accommodation or stretching. Um, plantar fasciitis is a big thing. And then, you know, I think that, you know, as, as athletes age, and, and by that, I mean, you know, you're no longer 18, 19, 20. Um, in your 30s, that's aging, uh, not because you're not healthy or active, but because the tendons in your body are just no longer as young as they were when they were 20. And so there's a, a little bit of different sort of dedication that I think one has to give to the ability to recovery, to stretching. And that's something that I've personally incorporated, whether I'm actually actively training or if it's I've had a long day in the operating room, I'm standing all day. Um, if I don't take care of that, you know, things pop up. I get low back pain. I get you know, hamstring issues. I get, I had a calf strain the other day because I try to, you know, increase my mileage too quickly. Um, so a lot of it is really just focused on soft tissue injuries. And I think the most important part of that is making sure that, you know, as you, you know, go from your twenties to your thirties and thirties to forties and then beyond to maintain that ability to stay active. Um, it's really important to maintain good mobility of the joint, uh, good stability. I think runners oftentimes, you know, because there's such a linear play and they focus only on going forward, And they really neglect the abductors or the hip muscles that are really important in pelvic stability. And so that leads to either hip issues or IT band syndrome and anything kind of below that can follow. And so if you don't have good strength in those smaller muscles for stability, um, that can, you know, start to lag. Same thing with everything kind of below that though. So if you have any sort of deficits of the quads or hamstrings, the knees can be an issue. And, uh, you know, calves, if you have tight calves, that can alter your gait and lead to uh, calf or uh, Achilles tendonitis. And so, so much of this is really soft tissue related. So the important point is really to make sure that you have a really good routine to, you know, optimize, you know, mobility and to optimize stability uh, to really kind of maintain and, and maximize the longevity of a career in endurance sports. Yeah. I think that um, 
you know, Sarah, as I've gotten older and I know Sarah too, um, you know, I think when I turned 35, it was when I was like, I just keep getting injured and I wasn't doing any strength training. And, you know, I really realized that that's like the fourth discipline and try, I mean, aside from nutrition, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to keep at it. It might not be as exciting, but it's important. Yeah. hundred percent. And, 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 you know, as, as it's a different type, right? So uh, people have to understand, you know, strength training comes in all types of forms. Uh, when you're talking to try to build bulk and strength, such as doing something like, you know, being a football player, that's entirely different. There's a different form of strength training that is really sort of can be geared towards the endurance athlete where, you know, you really don't worry about putting on too much muscle mass. You can still maintain that sort of lean body type, um, but you're really making sure that you're, you're activating and strengthening the muscles that are really important to maintain good joint stability. So I have a question for you. Let's say, you know, you have an injury, um, let's just say plantar fasciitis, because you mentioned that, would it be best to come to somebody like you or is it like the physical therapist or is it a podiatrist? Like I always run into that. Like who's the best expert to see? Is it, you know, should we start at the top, like with the sports, uh, orthopedist surgeon or. Yeah. Uh, that's a great question. I think it, it, it really depends on what, what resources are available in your area. Um, for example, at our practice here, we have a really unique setup because we're an orthopedic practice, but we have six really, or actually eight really excellent non-operative sports medicine specialists, many of whom are active and runners and, and treat, you know, soft tissue injuries. And so if that's something available to you, that's a fantastic place to start because they really do have a lot of the tools. And then that way you're, you're not going to a surgeon who, in a lot of, a lot of ways, we have a surgeon mentality. Um, and so we may not see as many of these soft tissue injuries. Um, but even then, I think that if, if that doesn't set up is not there, then having someone who is specialized in sports medicine, even in the orthopedic world, who is a surgeon, you know, finding someone who does that. And, and like you mentioned before, is trying to really, you know, suss out who, who is an athlete themselves. Um, and sometimes that can be tough. Um, and so that's why word of mouth, I think is very important. Um, those are two good places to start. I do think that if you have access or knowledge of a physical therapist who is a runner, I have, or is a triathlete, I have several that I've worked with, not only just in my practice that I refer patients to, but patients have been referred to me after they've been working with them for soft tissue injuries that just aren't getting better. Um, and also I've worked with them to help develop these protocols. And so I think um, if you have access to a physical therapist directly, they're great resources, especially if they're very knowledgeable in the endurance world. Um, I think chiropractors, um, they have a, a very good use. I think it's, it's important to, again, to identify those who are going to be able to treat that specific injury um, and not kind of get into the weeds of, of other things and do x-rays when they're not necessary, uh, which I have seen. Um, but on the contrary, I have a really excellent sports medicine uh, chiropractor here in Birmingham who we work with and is one of the team doctors, one of the teams I cover, and he's fantastic. And his mentality is, all right, we're going to focus on this joint and whatever we need to do to get it better. And if it's not better in you know, five times, then we got to move on to something different. Um, so I think there are numerous types of resources, but like you said, from the beginning, you know, it's really important to, you know, find out is this, what, what is this person's background and what is their sort of philosophy in terms of treating endurance athletes? Are they going to tell you to sit down and hang out? Or are they going to say, all right, we have these modalities at our uh, disposal. We may really need to kind of curb here, but we can start working on these things and kind of still push the envelope. And that's really where I would kind of focus on is finding really more the background, more than the actual um, you know, credentials more than anything else. Or kind of like finding your diagnosis, like what exactly is wrong here? And, and then kind of going from that, like, how do we fix it? Um, yes. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I think the, the biggest thing is that, you know, again, if it's a soft tissue injury, 
I, as a surgeon, can identify certain things. I will tell you what's wrong. I can tell you even some, some stretches and some things that I normally do, but I'm not a physical therapist. And so I, my natural sort of next step is going to get you to a physical therapist who focuses on those things. They will have numerous modalities and exercises and stretches to make sure that they're going to maximize uh, the, the quickness of your return. Do you do um, PRP or prolotherapy at your practice? Uh, we do uh, a lot of PRP. Uh, some of the prolotherapy is done. Uh, some of the non-surgical sports medicine specialists will do it. Um, PRP is probably a little more common here. Um, PRP, um, if you look at a lot of the studies, the main sort of indication that uh, I tend to recommend it for my patients uh, is in a case where you have chronic tendinopathy or a questionable partial tear. So the hamstring issue you mentioned, um, that's a common one that I see in runners and triathletes, whether you're a cyclist or runner, um, that hamstring really kind of gets uh, a lot of you know wear and tear. Um, so I've had several cyclists, several runners uh, that get some really chronic irritation of that tendon. Um, and if therapy, which is the first step for that, doesn't improve things, you know, then we have a, a you know, potential to either use a cortisone injection or a PRP injection. Um, and I actually just had a, a podcast with Leanda Cave who described just that injury. Um, you know, she's obviously one of the best you know, triathletes out there. And she talked about how during her career, she was really suffering from a chronic tendon, uh, you know, partial tear or tendinopathy and PRP is what she went to. And within two months, she was back on the bike running, feeling great. And so oh, wow. there is, there is a role for it. Um, I think that if you're just throwing it around, you know, haphazardly, um, you're probably wasting your money, but I think that in the right indications with tendon problems in particular, um, it definitely has a role and, and can really be a, uh, really career saver in, in Leanda's case, or just kind of a, you know, lifesaver in terms of your ability to get back to, to athlete, athletics. Mm -hmm. It's well, speaking of PRP, is there any other like new technology that you've been using or that you're excited to like use in the future for athletes, especially? Yeah, I think, uh, really what you're saying is, is this, um, it's not a kind of direct to consumer recovery process. Um, and so it's not so much that we have new stem cells that we're injecting, you know, that is something that's being developed, but it's really not proven. I think PRP is PRP and maybe some kind of what we call BMAC or bone marrow aspirate. Those are kind of the biologics that we're currently using, but PRP has really been shown to do a little bit more, uh, have more benefit for the tendon problems. But I think the other sort of things that I mentioned is that you're seeing a lot of professional athletes who are spending a, a very large amount of their income and time on recovery. And I think because of that, that's translating to the consumer field. And so you'll see companies like Normatech with compression devices. Um, a lot of companies that are doing um, like PowerDot that has uh, a home EMS or STEM unit um, you know, you have a lot of other sort of ice bath sort of pro, um, uh, protocols that are coming about. And so I think this idea of, you know, direct to consumer recovery is probably the, the next sort of frontier that you're seeing a lot of different sort of, uh, whether it's athletes that are using on their own or they're recommending, because the understanding that yes, you can train hard, but if you don't take care of your body at some point, something could potentially happen. And so the recovery space, I think, is really interesting. Uh, I work with a fantastic physical therapist here um, named Kevin Wilk, who's one of the godfathers of some of the greatest physical therapy and is taking care of all kinds of professional athletes. And he's a big believer in a lot of the modalities. So he'll use laser and STEM and ultrasound and a lot of different things that um, are tech-based to help increase your activity as you're recovering as well. So that space, I think, is really the kind of frontier of where a lot of uh, you know, triathlon and endurance sports are going to see a lot of benefits because if you can prevent injury after a long day, I think that it's going to prolong your career. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I feel like this, those kind of products are becoming more available and also a little bit more affordable because yes. there might be like when Normatec is, it's still like the top brand, but like there's other brands that are coming out with compression type things. And, you know, it's, it's not as 
uh, it's more feasible, I would say, than when I first started triathlon. I was like, I'll never get Norma Tech boots because I just bought a brand new bike and I can't buy yeah. these two. Yeah, we and would like, have them at the races. Just, yeah, you, know, you, just you, you go into it like after a race, you're like, wow, these are great, but like who could afford these? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Like, there, there are several companies that are making it a lot more, you know, accessible because uh, before it was, you saw them at a rehab place and that was about it because they were cost prohibitive. But I think that's where things are shifting to. Mm -hmm. That's exciting. Maybe there'll be less injuries. So um, I, I know this, this isn't your forte necessarily, but how do you keep an athlete motivated and like positive if you are diagnosing them with a pretty severe injury, like, you know, a stress fracture or worse, like a tear of some sort? How do you keep yeah. them, you know, it's a, it's a great question. It's hard. <laughs> That's probably one of the harder parts of what we do. And the reality is, is but we do it a lot. Um, even though as an orthopedic surgeon, you know, the, the sort of focus of what we do is very technical is, is we're putting things back together. Um, I've had several triathletes who've come in, some of whom, you know, training for a full Ironmans and have had stress fractures in areas that you really have to be careful with. Um, and so, you know, number one, I think out of athlete safety, it's important to really stress that because um, athletes are, are very apt to say, hey, yeah, it hurts, but I can deal with it. I'm going to push through. And there are just certain injuries that you really do have to be careful with. And, um, you know, this particular athlete had a uh, stress fracture in her femur. Um, and so that's something you got to be really careful about. And so, um, you know, that automatically leads you down a road of you have to protect weight bearing. So that's going to dramatically change any training. Um, you are now going to, you know, start a completely different focus. Um, and it's really initially depressing sort of experience. And so, um, I think a large part of my job in those circumstances is to say, listen, I, I know what you're going through. I, I've been there. I've had injuries before where I had to sit on the couch for six weeks and don't get me wrong. It's not fun, you know, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, this doesn't need surgery, which is a good thing uh, because that, that typically indicates that your recovery is going to be a little bit quicker. Um, and it's also just making sure that when they come back in reassurance saying, okay, these are the things that I see that you are improving. Now, are you back at full training capacity? No, I totally, and I totally understand that. But I think that as you see gradual improvements, such as, as you're returning from a stress fracture, oh, hey, you know, when I put weight on it, when I walk, I don't have as much pain anymore. You know, that's a good sign. Hey, my mobility is a little bit better. I feel a little bit stronger. I've been able to dedicate a little bit more time to building my core and my other muscles. And so those things that are, that are positive during that sort of, uh, sort of latency phase or, you know, sedentary phase uh, when you're not moving, I think are really important to point to, to really understand that the progress you're making, while it's not with training, it is with the recovery, which is going to eventually allow you to get back to that training. So, so much of it's the psychology of understanding, you know, not focusing on, you know, oh man, I'm missing all this, but also saying, focusing on what I am getting better at and making that the priority. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, I haven't had anything too seriously, but Katie, a couple of years ago, she was pretty laid up and had to have surgery and yeah, came out on the other side. I was rollerblading. It was a freak accident. I was rollerblading and I did the splits. I fell and did the splits oh. and my hamstring ripped off. So I oh, had to have no. surgery. Yeah. yeah and I, I went a... to, I went to a, you know, a surgeon like you and he just looked at me and was like, you know, if you don't have surgery, that's it. And it was almost like one of those where I was going to ask you like, you're, you know, with surgery, it's, you know, you, you try to not have surgery, but with this, it was like, I was kind of having a little bit of hamstring pain strain for, you know, months before. And it was almost like better that it just ripped. And then I had to have surgery and now it's stronger than the other one. So yeah, it's, it's a hard, you know, like I'm sure, you know, with, do you have surgery? Do you not to like fix something? 
Yeah, you know, and that decision is 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 always uh, we like to you know have what's called shared decision making. Um, you know, I think that the the obviously sort of imbalance is that my knowledge base compared to the average patient is is quite a bit greater. That's what we we train for. Um, and so for me, I, I still try to put myself in that mindset of well, if I were in this position, what would I do? And that's what I try to recommend for my patients who like to to be active and also kind of push through that. And unfortunately, there are just some injuries that you know, if you don't do surgery, your outcome is going to be worse. And, you know, the hamstring injury you mentioned, you know, I treat those as well. And, you know, we've done a lot of research either here or, you know, reading through a lot of the papers. And what we've learned is that if you don't fix them, um, people, patients don't do well. And those are typically patients who are, you know, quite a bit older. Those are in their sixties. Um, and so patients who are younger and active, if you don't fix that, uh, then your ability to return back to, you know, function and even doing daily stuff, such as walking but downstairs, can become a little bit more difficult or, you know, cause you to have some weakness. And so those, those are types of injuries that as unfortunate as they are, um, you are better off getting surgery to, to make sure that you maximize your recovery and strength and ability to get back to those things. Yeah. I had, I mean, I had a fine experience with it too. You know, I was back to, back to running within like seven months or so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't bad at all. And she got a bike I'm uh, not, not a bike, a swim trainer. A yeah. So I, I couldn't do anything. So I got a Vasa trainer and I was just awesome. every day, I was just yeah. like, you know, put my leg up on the bed and was just swimming away. Yeah. Oh man. I, I feel like that would have helped me years ago. So you yeah. can recommend that to your clients say you yeah. can get a swim trainer. It's, it's called a Vasa trainer. Yeah. Vasa V-A-S-A. Okay. okay. I, I'll put that in the, uh, in the, in the repertoire. It's like a rolling yeah. erg. It's a, like a, okay. basically an erg that you're on your stomach. Got it. Okay. That's great. Yeah. Didn't miss a beat, Katie. She was back on that like two days after surgery. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, well, and that, that's, that's, that's really, that's triathletes, right? That's, yeah, I, I still am in contact with all those guys from DC, guys and girls from DC. And I will get texts every now and then say, Hey man, uh, I have this stress fracture. What am I supposed to do? And so I'm still kind of lending medical advice at this point. Cause you know, when I was a medical student, they, they always called me doc to be because uh, I wasn't yeah. a doctor yet. And now it's like, they, I think they still call me doc to be, but now it's like, I actually have a little bit more knowledge. Um, but uh, it's, it's still, it's, you know, as soon as I, you know, say, Hey, here's what's going to happen. The next thing I see is they're, they're on a bike and they're using one leg. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> whatever you got to do. And, that, and that's okay. You know, and, and that's the mentality. And I, I, I encourage it, you know, as long as we're making sure that we're doing the things that uh, we need to, to, you know, recover from that, that current injury. Yeah. Um, so I'm a high school track coach. Um, and also there's a lot of people who might just be new, newly getting into swimming or biking or running who listen to this. Um, and what I always tell my kids who just started running for the first time is like running is not, there are pain, aches and pains that come along, just naturally come along with running. Right. Um, but then I, you know, if I, I always like kind of waver between like telling them to just run through something versus like stop right now and take care of it. So just maybe from your personal experience, like when do you, when is it okay to just train through? like a pain versus when it's time to like really see a doctor? Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, everyone's so different. Everyone interprets pain differently. Um, but I think that, you know, the rule of thumb that I use for myself personally, um, is that if it's, there's a difference between soreness and heaviness and achiness and true pain. Um, if you, if you're running and you start feeling some tightness, pushing through a little bit of tightness is probably okay. Maybe stop and stretch it out. Um, you know, same thing on the bike. If your back's getting a little tight, but it's not sharp pain. Again, probably okay to push through. It's for me, when I get to a point where if I take a step and there's a sharp pain somewhere, that for me is, is depending upon the level of training. Again, I'm not a professional, so I don't have a lot of you know, stake in that game. Um, I'm pretty conservative from my, from my own body. Um, so if I have a sharp pain, you know, I might stretch it, 
test it out again. But if it continues to happen and it's every single step and it's no matter what I do, if I, you know, change my position, change how my, you know, my cadence, change my stride, uh, if it still continues to be a problem, that's when I'll say, okay, this needs to be addressed. And, you know, fortunately for me, I have, I have you know, physical therapy friends who are across the office or downstairs. And so I'll get to get checked out and have them, you know, do a quick evaluation. And, you know, I know a lot of the stretches and exercises that I'll, I'll go ahead and do anyway. Um, and so it's really just, if it's that sharp pain, I think sharp pain is kind of an indication to tell your body. Anything else is that's a little bit more sore and achy and fatigued. You know, uh, those are the things that I think are okay to push through. But I think it's also dependent upon where you're at in your, your you know, activity. If you're, you know, six miles, eight miles, 10 miles in, and you notice you're getting fatigued and things are kind of breaking down, you know, you either, you know, take a, take a break to be able to re recalibrate and reset your technique to make sure that you're not, you know, starting to develop bad habits later on in a training session. Um, because I think that that's probably the biggest thing is that as you become fatigued, your form breaks down, you start kind of either changing your stride, changing your landing or landing or gait patterns. And that's where I think started the, all these soft tissue sort of injuries start to kind of pop up. Um, and you may not feel it then, but if the next day it's more than just sore, that's when I, have to, I would say, you know, make sure you give yourself proper, you know, exercise, either cross train, you know, do some stretching, you know, see a therapist, do some soft tissue management uh, before just kind of jumping back in and saying, oh, it's nothing and pushing back in. Cause you know, uh, again, on that same podcast with Leanda Cave, she said the same thing. She's like, oh, I felt it. I was riding and I was in a, too big a gear, felt my hamstring going. I thought it was a strain and she pushed through it for several weeks or months. And then before she finally got it checked out. And so you, you know, we all as triathletes and endurance athletes have the ability to push through discomfort, but if it's not going away, that's, that should be a key to your, to your, your, your mind to say, let's get this checked out or let's modify something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and also as terms of like diagnosis goes, so just back to one of my track athletes, she was having this random pain all over her leg. And it wasn't like that pinpoint, like stress fracture pain. Um, and I, it was way beyond my expertise. So she saw a few doctors until she finally got the MRI and she was diagnosed with a stress fracture. Um, so with anybody who has concern about stress fractures, is it like, just go to the MRI, don't waste your time basically. Yeah. I think, you know, in, in the high risk athletes, um, so in starting with endurance athletes and then starting with endurance athletes doing, you know, high volume, high mileage, and then even more so the high riskers young females who are thin and who are of that, what we call the triad athlete, female athlete triad. So, um, you know, younger, thin endurance athlete, um, um, amenorrhea, you know, meta metabolic sort of lower calorie intake. Those are things that if there's any concern that there's chronic pain, you know, I have a much lower threshold, uh, in my athletes that I treat at some of the schools we take care of to say, let's get an x-ray MRI. Um, mm -hmm. you know, if I have a, cross-country athlete or track athlete, she's a female that's coming in and said, Hey, this has been bothering me for three weeks and it's in the middle of my shin. Yeah, absolutely. I go ahead and get an x-ray. Now, mm -hmm. if that person doesn't fit and then, you know, it's really more near a joint or some more near muscle, then, you know, maybe there's a little bit of room to, to kind of wait it out and try to treat it with physical therapy. But yeah, I have a pretty low threshold in the endurance community to say, let's make sure this is not, you know, an overuse or a stress reaction or stress fracture. Mm -hmm. And then as far as like treatment goes for that, it's just, that's just rest, right? Just, and. Yeah, generally, I think um, it, it depends on where the, where the injury is, depends on, you know, how extensive it is, um, which will kind of dictate your treatment in terms of, do you have to be completely non-weight bearing or can you be partial weight bearing? Um, and then I think there are other things that are important to look at is, you know, what is your caloric intake and you taking in the right food from a diet standpoint? Um, I would, a lot of times we'll send patients for blood work. Um, there's a high percentage of patients in the, or people in the United States who are deficient in vitamin D. Um, and so 
doing vitamin D in a metabolic workup, I think is important. I have a couple of people here that I will send patients to who will kind of go down that road. Um, I think, you know, making sure that, you know, you're set up with the right therapist who's going to understand this and also gradually advance you when you need to. And then every now and then we'll do, um, you know, certain things like a bone stimulator uh, to help kind of augment that. that healing. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I use that. I, yeah. So I, very similar story when I was started, I swam my whole life. And when I started running for triathlon, when I was about 25, I quickly got a stress fracture in my uh, femoral neck. So it was, yeah. you know, right in between. And I was, you know, young, thin, you know, started running, not a lot of miles. Um, and then, you know, that was when the doctor told me to just eat more and gain weight. And I didn't take that for an answer. So I, yeah. Um, went to a new doctor like a couple years later it still hadn't healed and they did blood work well the first they tested my bone density and yep. found out that I had osteoporosis so I was wow. 28 at the time and they did a bunch of blood work and found out that I have celiac um, so what had happened is I wasn't absorbing calcium for most of my life and I didn't know wow. and so in turn I got uh, had osteoporosis and then got a stress fracture that didn't heal so yeah Started yeah, on gluten-free diet and I'm fine now. Yeah. A pr prime example though of, you know, it's, it's more than just the stress fracture in, in a lot, a lot of those circumstances that, uh, yeah, it may just be the mileage, but you have to make sure that it's, uh, you know, comprehensively evaluated to make sure that there's nothing, you know, abnormal, such as you just described. So that's, that's why, that's kind of how I tend to approach any sort of stress fracture uh, when I stay in my practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like a nutritional thing or yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And unfortunately, like stress fractures happen. I was just reading Beth McKenzie um, that she's uh, retired. I guess she no, lo no longer a pro, but she founded Win Republic um, with her husband, Luke McKenzie, and she's been running forever and doing triathlon forever. And she has a stress fracture, um, you know, yeah. so it can happen to anybody from, you know, Absolutely. my 15 year old track athlete to uh, like a seasoned pro. And um, would you say that's like the most common ath uh, athlete? related injury that you come across or is it more the hips and things like that? Um, you know, I would say stress fractures are probably not as common as the soft tissue injuries. Um, you know, I think that stuff like IT band and tendon problems are probably a little bit more common than that. Um, I, I think I probably, while, you know, you, I mean, I just I did a surgery on a young girl who's not an endurance athlete, but developed a stress fracture in her hip and it was very severe, um, which required surgery. But, um, you know, the, the, I tend to see, fewer stress fractures than I would say that I see soft tissue injuries. And so while they are common, I probably see them more in patients who are a little bit more um, kind of involved in longer endurance and endurance, whether it's marathons, half marathons, um, triathlons that are, of you know, um, you know, whatever distance it is, I think that the, the more they're active, that's probably when I tend to see a little bit more just because of the sheer volume more than anything else. And what kind of, uh, what kind of surgery do you do on stress fractures? Um, so it depends. Um, we have patients who can have stress fractures in their shin or tibia. Um, and if it's, if it's extensive enough, um, you'll stabilize it by putting a metal rod inside the shin bone. Um, if it's the, the hip and the femoral neck, like you had, if it's severe enough, or if it's in a certain position, um, you'll put three metal screws uh, across that a fracture inside the femoral neck. And that just creates almost like rebar, creates additional that support was, to allow it to heal. That was what they were going to do. I was going to go, I was getting ready for surgery. And then I started going to, I got another opinion with this other doctor and that's when they did all the blood work and everything. So yeah, I could have been, you know, had that surgery too. And yeah, I was not looking forward to that. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you can avoid it, great. I, I think there are certain times that when we see it, that if it gets to a certain extent, uh, just the concern of just even just walking, let alone running 
is enough to kind of recommend surgery. Mm -hmm. Wow. So hopefully we haven't turned anybody off of doing a, <laughs> a triathlon now, talking about all these injuries, but injuries happen. Um, unfortunately, there are great people like you who can fix us and <laughs> get us back out there. So um, are you going to be racing anytime soon? You know, I think COVID kind of uh, delayed my, my race plans. I was set up to do a, a half Ironman uh, with my brother-in-law uh, in 2020, and it just kept getting shifted back. And so I have not signed back up yet again for that. We do a lot of football coverage in the fall. So my fall is typically not a great time to train. And so if I do anything, I'll probably be looking towards towards next spring. But uh, I, I am getting that itch again because it's been such a long time. Um, and I, and I, I really do enjoy the the three disciplines, you know, really equally. I'm not a great swimmer, but when I do get out of the pool, I mean, it, you just feel so good. Um, and I just, you know, love being on the bike and, you know, I've, I've always, always been a runner really, again, dating back to college. So, um, you know, being away from it for due to COVID, you know, I definitely have gotten the itch again. So probably, probably next spring is when I think I'll probably choose one. Yeah, that's great. I mean, Katie and I have this conversation all the time. There's always triathlon. Can't do it yeah. next month. There's not always gonna go away. Yeah. not going away. Um, does oh, your yeah. mom still run? Does she still run marathons? She does still run. Yeah. She had not a marathon in a couple of years. Uh, but I mean, she still runs five days a week. I mean, it's, it's so impressive. You know, she's, uh, 64, 65 now. And you know, I mean, she's like, all right, got to get my long run in on the weekends. And she's out running like 10, 12 miles. I'm like, geez, man, she's, that's you know, crazy. she's, she's impressive. Yeah. So it's yeah. awesome. So that's, that's, um, a, that's like such a good uh, role model to have in your life. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's um, what got me where I'm at. So it's, it's been right. amazing. So very thankful. All right. Well, Katie, do you have any other questions? I don't think so. Thanks for coming on and chatting with us. It's been great to, to hear from you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Uh, it's exciting to you know, meet you guys and I uh, love hearing about it. Love it. It's a great podcast. And um, uh, it's amazing that uh, we have a small role to share it with the, uh, the DC crew. So yeah. Um, right. yeah. yeah. And yeah, too man. bad well, we don't uh, live closer to Alabama. We could come uh, hit your, uh, your practice up next time. We, yeah, well, hopefully we won't get injured anytime soon. But I know. Did, I that's that's always the hard place. relationship you develop with these yeah. doctors like oh well <laughs> i hope i don't be i hope i won't be seeing you later <laughs> yeah i know that that's always the the last sort of visit it's like i hope you do well let's hope not to see each other in my office anywhere else is right, fine right, yeah. right. So. outside out running hopefully being active yeah. but not in the doctor's office all right yeah. well thank you again for joining us it's my pleasure thank you guys so much Thanks. thank you bye-bye Well, that is it for episode 14. A huge thank you to Dr. Ryan for letting us learn from your vast knowledge and experience with injuries. Sarah and I hope our listeners can take away some insight from our chat and from our experiences on coping with injuries physically and just as importantly, mentally. As always, we want to hear from you. You can DM us on social media. You can find Sarah at Sarah Wozner Flynn and Katie at Katie Palavicino. We'll see you next week.